What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another brand new installment of Renegades Reviews right here on the Casa D18 Studios channel. I am the Renegade JJ Williams, and today I'm going to be discussing from 2004, Ray, starring Jamie Foxx, Kerry Washington, Clifton Powell, Terrence Howard, Lorenz Tate, Bakeem Wood Woodbine, David Krumholtz, Warwick Davis, and Regina Keene. What's up, everybody? Thank you again for joining me here today on another brand new installment of Renegades Reviews as we keep celebrating Black music as part of our Black History Month celebration here on the Casa D18 Studios channel. And like I said, today we're going to be talking about Jamie Foxx as Ray. Now, our story begins in 1948. And Ray Robinson is waiting to board a bus from Florida to Seattle. And initially, the bus driver doesn't want to let Ray on the bus. But he changes his mind when Ray lies to him and tells him this story about how he lost his vision at Omaha Beach in the war. When he tells him that, the bus driver kind of feels some sympathy for him and makes sure that he gets to Seattle safely, takes special care of him. Once he arrives in Seattle, Ray uses his talent to get a job playing the piano at a nightclub. Now, the club's owner begins to exploit Ray, using him for sexual favors and controlling his career and finances. Ray ends up leaving that band in 1950 when he discovers that he's being lied to and that he's having money stolen from him. He ends up joining a white country band who give him a pair of sunglasses to wear to hide his eyes. That way they don't scare the audience. This leads to his trademark sunglasses that he always wore. Now, while on tour with the band, Ray discovers heroin. And heroin's gonna be a long-standing issue with Ray. We're gonna come across heroin a few times during the movie. Um, while using heroin, Ray experiences flashbacks of trauma going back to his childhood in the 30s, where Ray is the eldest of two brothers, raised by an independent single mother named Aretha. And while the family is poor, Ray discovers music as an escape. He learns to play the piano from a music store um, employee. When he is only five years old, he's playing with his younger brother, George, and George ends up slipping and falling into their mother's wash basin. Now, Ray laughs at first because he thinks George is just goofing around. But when George's limbs begin violently thrashing in the water, Ray's laughter turns to shock. Aretha tries to pull George from the water and revive him, but it's too late. George has passed. Now, Ray feels guilty for his brother's death, and he begins to lose his eyesight not too long after the tragedy. And by the time Ray, Ray is at the age of seven years old, he's completely blind. It's, it's interesting to think that 
such a tragedy like that in a young boy's life could be what cost him his eyesight. I mean, maybe there was something else going on too, but the two almost seem to go hand in hand. The fact that he witnessed that trauma and shortly after he loses his eyesight. Now, Aretha begins to teach Ray how to be independent, as she never wants to see him turn into a cripple, you know, who can't do anything for himself. Eventually, Ray gets sent off by Aretha to a special school for the deaf and the blind. And Aretha is visibly crying as her only son left leaves her to go to the special school. We flash back to the present, and after being scammed in Seattle, Ray begins to demand that he gets paid in $1 bills. That way no one can scam him again. And we see a time with the country band when payouts are being given, and a man is counting dollar bills, claiming that they're 20s to Ray. Thankfully, another band member steps up and demands that Ray be paid fairly. Now, as Ray becomes more popular, Ahmet Erdogan discovers him. And when Ray goes to the studio to record his music, they don't really want to record what he's trying to record. So Ahmet suggests that Ray record a song that he wrote. It's called The Mess Around. And it ends up becoming Ray's first hit song. Ray ends up meeting Della B, a preacher's daughter. The two fall in love and eventually get married. Now, while B doesn't approve of Ray mixing gospel and soul, she can't deny his talent or his success. When Ray returns to the road, he meets Marianne Fisher, a singer who teams up with Ray. Upon his return home, B finds drugs in Ray's shaving bag. When she demands that he stops using, Ray refuses and walks out on a pregnant B. Ray ends up beginning an affair with Marianne as a result. And as Ray's popularity increases, he enlists a trio of ladies to become known as the Raylettes. And he immediately falls for Margie, the lead singer of the trio. She charms him and he begins an affair with her as well. A few more years go by. And now Ray is on the road as a headliner. And one night while playing the gig, Ray ends his show a little bit early. And the club owner demands that he finishes the show and plays for another 20 minutes, which is what he's contractually obligated to do. So Ray sits back down at the piano 
and he ends up making a song up. And the song is, what did I say? Performs it, another major hit. Records it for the record company, and it's it's a long song because it had to fill a 20-minute space. So the record company doesn't want to release it as a single until they decide to chop it up and put half of it on side A and the other half on side B. Now, as the 60s progress, Ray is becoming more and more popular, and he's offered a better contract to switch record labels. I want to say it was to ABC Records, if I remember correctly. But Ray is loyal to Atlantic Records, the label that signed him and that he's been with since the beginning. So he gives them a chance to match the offer. When they're not able to, Ray leaves the label to join the other record company amicably because they've grown to be family and, you know, you can't be mad at your family's success. When Ray goes to Augusta, Georgia to play a concert and encounters civil rights protests, Ray refuses to perform as long as the crowd is segregated. The, the promoters want the African-Americans to sit up in the balcony while all the white people sit down on the floor. Ray has no part of that. As a result of his stance on the protest, Ray ends up being banned from Georgia for life. Another two years pass, and now Ray wants to experiment a little bit more with new styles, new sounds. He wants to start incorporating classical and country into his music, which ends up producing some of his biggest hits, including Georgia on My Mind. Margie tells Ray that this is going to be his downfall, messing with his formula too much. Ray also records I Can't Stop Loving You, which earns Ray a standing ovation at one of his shows. One evening, while he's asleep in his hotel, Ray's sleep is interrupted by the police acting on an anonymous tip. They bust in and arrest him. And even though they find Ray in possession of more heroin, they're able to, Ray's able to get the charges dropped because they never had a search warrant. Some time passes, and we see Ray in another hotel room. And he's kind of tinkering around on the piano, messing around. Margie gets sick and ends up telling Ray that she's pregnant with his kid. She demands that Ray leave his wife B and his other children to be with her. And Ray refuses. He basically tells her, like, you knew what you were getting into when we started this. I'm not leaving my wife and my kids. This makes Margie furious. He tells her to keep that anger. Don't, don't let it go right now. And he ends up writing the song, Hit the Road Jack, right there. Complete with a solo part for her. That way she can 
verbalize and get her aggressions out at him. Now with Margie's name out there as a result of the hit song, she leaves to become a solo act. It's now the early 70s, and Ray and B move into a huge new house with their kids. And while it's a beautiful house, B's a little uncomfortable there. Ray has to leave almost immediately for another performance. He's going to go perform a concert in Canada. When he gets off the plane, he's again arrested for possession of heroin. The concert ends up being canceled and the authorities deport Ray back to the States. Now, his record company tries to help Ray with this, but they have troubles doing so because, you know, this is a repeat thing for him. A judge even goes as far as to sentence Ray to go to a treatment clinic. B and Ray fight about this. And while they're fighting, the phone rings. It gets answered, and the person on the other end of the phone tells Ray that Margie is dead of a drug overdose. Ray swears to be up, down, left, right, you know, that he didn't turn her on to drugs, and he refused to allow her to do drugs when they were together. But considering Ray's past with heroin, B's kind of like, yeah, right, okay. She tells Ray that she's going to start sending money to Margie's kid, knowing that Margie's kid is also Ray's kid. Ray didn't know that she knew. And he informs B that he already does send money to his child with her. Ray ends up going to rehab, and he suffers serious withdrawals and has like a lot of nightmares as a result of his detoxing. One night during his stay, he even has a conversation with his dead mother. And she scolds him for allowing himself to become a cripple due to his drug use. Ray attempts to apologize to her, but she wants no apology from him. She doesn't want to hear it. Out of nowhere, then, his little brother George shows up. And George begins talking to Ray. And George tells Ray that he doesn't blame him for his death. And this, you know this is a huge weight off of Ray's shoulders. Because Ray's been carrying this burden since he was a little boy feeling that he was the one responsible for his brother's death. So although he doesn't say anything about it, you know this was a huge weight off of his shoulders. Our film ends in 1971, 31 years after it began with Ray waiting for the bus. And Ray is now off drugs for good, completely clean and sober, and he's about to receive his proudest accomplishment. The state of Georgia is issuing Ray a public apology and making Georgia on my mind their official state song. Ray 
B and their three sons receive a round of applause from the crowd there after Ray performs the song at the ceremony. This might be a little controversial, what I'm about to say, because I know a lot of people love this movie. I would say for about the first half hour or so, I was bored. I'm all down for a slow moving story, for a story that builds, for a story with some exposition. And biopics are usually all about that type of stuff. But I'd say for about the first half hour, I was bored. It wasn't until it got to the parts where he was creating the songs that he's best known for, where my interest started to get peaked a little bit more. This is now at least the second time that I've watched the film as well. And both times I'm just, okay. I don't know if it's because I didn't grow up a huge fan of Ray Charles. I mean, I'm not going to deny his genius or his talent by any means. And he does have a few songs that I like. Songs like What I'd Say, Hit the Road Jack. His version of America the Beautiful is just gorgeous. So he does have some songs that I like. But I was never... It's not one of the things that I really listened to growing up or even today. And that may be part of it. The other part of it may be that Jamie Foxx's performance. And I'm I'm not trying to knock Jamie. But Ray came out at a time when Jamie was best known for slapsticky comedy movies. And that's not to say that he can't um, be a departure every now and again and do something more serious. But when you're strictly known for slapsticky comedies, and then all of a sudden, boom, you do something like this, and you get Oscar nominated, and I believe he even won the Oscar for this. It's like, wait, what? Okay. That may have a little bit to do with it as well. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely not a bad movie, but like I said, the first couple hour, or not a couple hours, but the first maybe half hour of it, I was kind of bored. A couple of notes that I did pick up on um, when I was doing my research for this. Um, Ray Charles was actually given a Braille copy of the script to kind of examine and read over to know what they were going to do with his story. And he only objected to two scenes in the film, or in the original screenplay. One showed him grudgingly taking up the piano, almost like he didn't want to. And one implied that he taught Margie how to shoot up heroin. Neither of those scenes are obviously in the movie. They were stricken from the final product. But those were the only two things that were in the original screenplay 
that he objected to. Everything else that you see in the movie was approved by him. Second note I picked up was that he was supposed to attend the premiere of the film, but he passed away due to liver disease in June of 2004, four months before the film's release in October. That is a shame that he did not live long enough to actually see his life story make it to theaters. I'm going to give Ray two and a half out of five stars. Again, if, if it wasn't for the first half hour or so where I was just bored at the story, it would probably be three and a half out of five. But there was just so much in the beginning that didn't hook me and reel me in. And traditionally, I'm a guy that if you can't hook me in the first half hour, I turn the movie off. Obviously, I can't do that in these situations when I'm trying to rate the movie and do a review for you folks. But if it hadn't been for the movie review, I probably would have cut it off before it really started to get rolling. I fully expect comments in the comment box below telling me how I'm crazy. Your opinions, as always, I welcome them. Let me know what I may have missed that I should go and try to rewatch this movie for and maybe change my perspective on it. Let's not forget to get out there, folks. Get those hashtags trending on social media. Hashtag Casa D18 Studios. Hashtag Renegades Reviews. Hashtag Renegade Returns. And of course, the ever popular hashtag shenanigans. Merchandising. Merchandising? What's that? Merchandising. Come, I'll show you. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money's made. Don't forget to get out there. Do what the commercial just told you. Go to teespring.com slash stores slash Jeff Meacham Network. Get you your Renegade J.J. Williams shirt, your dad's not always on wrestling shirt, Stat Boy Sports Bar, Talk Wrestling, the Jeff Meacham Network t-shirts, all of the official merchandise. Support us. We appreciate it. Make sure you tune in tomorrow when we're going to experience the strength of street knowledge and discuss straight out of Compton, the story of the world's most dangerous rap group, NWA. You definitely are going to want to be here for that one. Thank you for joining me as always right here today on a brand new Renegades Reviews, exclusively on the Casa D18 Studios channel. I am the renegade J.J. Williams. Thank you for watching, and I will see you guys next time.